and I would like to be able to play the guitar after today. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we just really enjoyed that today. So if we just lift our hearts to the Lord, Father, we just thank you so much for your love, your grace, and your presence. We pray, God, that our hearts would receive your word today, cause it to be fruitful in our lives. Bless the pastor in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Today we intro a new series, seven-week series, called Totally Free. Um, And this series is basically premised on the gospel truth that becoming a follower of Christ is meant to be liberating. It is meant to free you. Uh, Some of us have had experiences probably in church where we think of church as being restrictive and binding and condemning and all that kind of stuff. And the gospel, the scriptures teach us that the reason Christ came is to set us free. Is to liberate us from our sins and liberate us from the things that bind us and hold us back in life. So we're going to talk for seven weeks about what it means to be totally free. Totally free. The scripture says that he who the Son has set free is free indeed. He's free indeed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So the scriptures over and over teach us that... Following Christ is a liberating experience. It's not a binding. It's not a constricting experience. It's a liberating experience. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that for just, um, you know, seven weeks <laughs> every week. Um, but it'll be good because we'll, uh, we'll mix it up. Today we're going to talk about one of the first steps in becoming totally free in Christ is how Christ, how God mends the invisible wounds in our hearts. Um, we're we're going to talk about part of becoming free is... is where we harbor old pains, old hurts, old resentments, old scars, emotional scars, and internal scars, part of becoming free through the Scripture, through God, is to mend, is where God mends these broken hearts. He mends these hidden wounds or invisible wounds. Um, I'm reminded of the, the, uh, the doctor, the man who, called, uh, who received a call from his doctor. And you may have heard this, but he received a call from the doctor and the doctor says, hey, listen, I've got, I've got some bad news for you. And then I have some really bad news for you. And uh, the man says, wow, okay, really, all right, let's hear it. So the doctor says, all right, here's the bad news. The bad news is the test came back. You've got 24 hours to live. The man says, oh, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's pretty bad news. I mean, uh, you know, if that's the bad news, doc, what's the really bad news? Doc says, um, I've been trying to reach you since yesterday. So... Um, <laughs> I know, I know, um, sorry, sometimes you just, just jump right in, you just do it, you just do it, um, so h- how many, let me just take a quick quiz, how many of you guys have some kind of physical scar from some injury or something that has happened to you, right, some scar somewhere on your body, okay, how many of you have more than one scar somewhere on your body, sometimes Jameson and Lincoln and I will just sit around comparing boo-boos, I'm like, oh, man, you should have seen that one. I came off my bike and, you know. Um, how many of you have had some kind of a broken bone or something at some point in your life? Yeah. So we all, we've all experienced physically what it means to be wounded and what it means to be scarred. And we know that physically we heal. We heal. There's a process of healing. Um, but today we're going to talk about what are the invisible wounds inside of us that for some of us have not completely healed. And prob- probably for all of us, there's some component of our past 
that still brings some kind of pain, some kind of hurt, some kind of suffering in our life. Um, The pastor out in California, Rick Warren, taught this same series to his congregation several years ago. And he described invisible wounds like this. He says, our invisible wounds are the resentments, the regrets, the worries, the fears, the compulsions, the private addictions that we carry from our past. Memories of abandonment, memories of abuse, memories of ridicule, memories of criticism, of pain, of rejection, of prejudice. All of us at some point in our life has experienced one or more of these things. And these things can scar us. They can scar us internally. Um, I'm remembering a story uh, about a kid uh, that I grew up with. And and for a a few years, we moved out of St. Louis. And we lived up in a little town called Lancaster, Ohio. And I will never forget, my, my dad was the pastor of the church there. We lived in the parsonage, which was the, the, the church that was, the house that was connected to the church. And there was a little barn in that, in that area. There was some acreage, and then there was a house, and there was a little barn, and then there was the church. And I will never forget, there was a, um, a few of us boys, and we were little kids. We were probably eight or nine years old, and we were in there playing. And the father of one of the boys came in. And apparently this boy was supposed to have gone home you know, earlier and uh, hadn't gone home yet. And so his father came in and his father was very angry. And there were just, we were just little boys and we were all just standing there and talking. And then this father came in and he was very, very worked up into a sort of a frothy rage. And we were watching him and we just didn't know. We all sort of froze. And he started yelling at his son. And the son just was sort of in shock. And I will never forget this because it just, it was a startling moment. But the father balled up his fist and hit the kid right in the, in, the, in the chin. And this little kid, eight or nine years old, went flying across the barn. And the other little boys in this barn, the three of us, were just standing there, frozen, paralyzed, totally helpless, didn't know what to do, shocked and stunned. Um, and I have often wondered over the years what happened to that kid. Uh, in fact, as I was preparing for this sermon I was just thinking about that story, and I, and I tried to reach out to... I, I actually found the guy on Facebook. I haven't seen him since we were 9 or 10 years old. I tried to reach out to him on Facebook, and I'm hoping that I can connect with him um, just to see, you know, wh- what's become of him? Wh- where is his life going? What's happening? Because if that happened there in front of us, I mean, this kid grew up in some tough, tough stuff, you know? Um, so we carry, all of us, maybe not to that extent, but maybe some of us do, carry these pains, these wounds, these injuries in our own hearts from experiences that we've had in our past. Um, Some of the invisible wounds are from what people might have said to you as a child. Things like, you won't amount to anything, or you aren't worth anything, or you're stupid, or you're lazy, or you're not welcome here. Um, Maybe you have felt abandoned, or betrayed, or hurt, um, abused, maybe uh, some, some of you have been abused mentally, sexually, physically. All of us have had some pain, some deep wound in our life. Um, the other types of invisible wounds that some of us carry are not things that have happened to us, but things that we have done that we're ashamed of. Uh, maybe you have done things in your past and you look back and there's a pile of resentment or, or, or of uh, regret Uh, over things that you've done and you think you shudder when you think of something that you've done or said to someone else and you think man I cannot believe I did that and maybe there have been shortcomings and failures in your past that you still carry with you Um, and I want to say today 
that God wants to heal you from all that. He wants to heal you not only from the resentments and the bitterness and the pain, but also the regrets of the things that you did, that you harbor in your heart, that hold you back. God wants to heal you from all of that. Amen? Um, in the scripture in Psalm 147, 1-3 says, The Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Jesus is the physician, the great physician. His role in your life is to heal you, is to heal you from the invisible wounds that you've carried all this time because he wants you to have a life of integrity, a life of beauty, a life of courage, a life of joy, a life of strength, a life of abundance, a life of fulfillment. He does not want you to be constrained by your past. He does not want you to be held back by your past. God's mission for you, God's hope for you, God's will for you is that you will be set free and that you will live a life of fullness and richness and abundance and peace and comfort. That's what he wants for you. Um, in in uh, 1 Kings, 2 Kings 25 says, Thus says the Lord, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. I will heal you. God wants to heal you today. He wants to heal you. Uh, and I just want to talk for a few minutes about the process by which God heals our invisible wounds. The process by which he heals our invisible wounds. Um, the first step or the first piece of this puzzle is that we have to initially reveal the wound. Okay? We have to reveal the wound. If we harbor it, we hold it in, we hide it, it's not going to get healed. You know, people say that time heals all wounds. That's not right. If you have cancer and you just wait it out, that's not a good idea. You know, if you have a broken bone and you just say, you know what, time will heal it. It may heal it, but you may never walk right again. I remember when I was a, a, a kid, again, back in this Lancaster, Ohio, we, we had this, um, this uh, sort of theater, amphitheater, outdoor amphitheater we built for this drama that we did every year. And this drama provides an innumerable funny stories, which I will, I will meet out to you over the next 20 years. Um, probably repeat a few of them. But anyway, when I was a kid, we were trying to, it was the end of this drama, and we were taking down the structure. And I was, uh, again, real young, maybe, maybe nine or ten. And my job, all the little boys, our job was to pull the nails out of wood. You know, they didn't want us doing anything constructive. They just said, here's a big pile of wood. Why don't you pull the nails out of them? Stay busy over there. So I had a hammer, and I'm pulling the nails out of this piece of wood, and the nail, or the hammer slipped off the nail and hit me right square in the nose. I mean, right in the middle of my nose. Um, and I remember it hurting pretty badly. And um, we were really busy. I went to my parents, and I said, you know, I got hit right in the nose with this hammer, you know. And my dad, you know, I think he thought, you know, look, son, I know you want to go play, but, you know, we need you guys to be over here doing. So it wasn't, he didn't really just get too worried about it, you know. And I'm like, Dad, I really did. I think I, he's like, you know. And I go to my mom and she goes, well, you know, maybe you should just lie down and take a nap. Uh, I said, okay, you know. So, you know, we were busy and it, and it didn't, it wasn't like, you know, it didn't look terrible. You know, my parents were not, you know, negligent parents or anything. But so I, so I lay down and just kind of forgot about it. 
Well, going forward, I noticed that my nose would always be just a little bit tender. You know, just like if something hit it, it would just kind of like hurt. <laughs> and uh, over the years, I started, I participated in like peewee wrestling. And then I was, a, you know, in, in, in uh, junior high, was in wrestling in high school. And it was during high school wrestling. Now, by this time, I got to tell you, my nose had formed a pretty mean bump. And kind of had like a redness vibe to it at all times. And just was very tender. So if anything, like even a coat brushed against it. Daryl, you remember this. If if anything brushed against it, I would just wince with pain. And finally, I go to my parents. I go, you know what? I think there's something wrong with my nose. Can we go get it checked out? And they're like, yeah, sure. So we get it checked out. Doctor does an x-ray. He says, you know what? The cartilage in your nose looks like someone has smashed it with a mallet many, many times. He's like, it's totally, totally shot. Um, and so I had to go in and he did, I don't know what they did, but somehow or other they got it kind of not broken anymore. Um, and all I can say is that the fact that I didn't get it taken care of early on didn't heal the nose. It didn't do anything to heal the nose. It made it worse, right? Over the years, it just, it probably broke and rebroke many times. That's more information about me than you probably want to know. So that was going to be just a little short narrative and I just kind of went with it. Um, so just time itself doesn't heal it. We've got to reveal our wounds. In Psalm 39, it says, I was, this is, this is David speaking. I was mute and silent. I held my peace, but to no avail. My distress grew worse. And I like this. My heart became hot within me as I mused, as I contemplated, as I thought about it, the fire burned. He's talking about an, a moment where he was angry at someone. He had resentment, bitterness towards that person. And he just tried to keep it in, and it didn't help. It just made it worse. It compounded the, the, the anger. Have you guys, has anybody ever tried to hold in anger? You're mad, and you just try to hold it in and not get it out, <laughs> not let it out. It doesn't fix it by holding it in, right? It just makes it worse. Um, so... In fact, I, I recall a, a dinner I had with a friend one time, and several of us were sitting around talking, and this friend suddenly unleashed on me something that I had done four or five years ago, apparently had done. I, had, I didn't even remember doing it, and, and I had said something to this person. I did not remember saying what I said. I'm not saying that I didn't say it, but this person had been carrying it for five years, and they just, boom, at dinner one day, let it out. Um, and, you know, so I was like, sorry for what I did five years ago, but I just... And, and, you know, here's the funny thing. It didn't affect me those five years. I didn't, I, that person was being angry and resentful, and I didn't even know it. Um, so if you are holding stuff in, if you are holding in some hidden hurt, some injury, some invisible wound, first step is to let it out. Let it out. Reveal it. Um, Psalm 32 says, uh, this is uh, also David, For when I kept silent, he says, My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer, Selah. And we talked about that not long ago. That just means, think about that. That means chew on that. He's saying, when I kept it in, it just rotted me on the inside. My bones got weak. I got mad, you know. If if some of you are finding that you are fatigued and angry and distressed and hurt and depressed, some, some of you may be holding in some hurt, some anger, some bitterness that you've been holding for a long time. 
and it's going to bring you down. It's going to hurt you on the inside. So the first step in this process is revealing the wound. Um, and we've got to reveal it to three people. We've got to reveal it first to ourself. Admit to yourself that it's there. You've got to reveal it to God. And then ultimately, you've got to reveal it to somebody else, someone that you trust. You've got to give it to somebody else. Because if you, if you think that you can skip step number three, it's not going to work. You've got to reveal your hidden wound to someone else. We're, we're programmed that way. We're dialed in that way, um, that we need each other. Psalm 32, 5 says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. Uh, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the iniquity of my sin. So finally, when David says, and this is, this is leading on from the passage we just read, he said, I held it in, my bones got rotten, and then I confessed it, and you forgave me. Let me tell you, God can handle your anger. He can handle the bitterness. He can handle whatever it is that you're carrying. He knows about it anyway. You're not hiding it from him. Let it out. Just let it out. Give it to him, uh, and he will forgive you. Um, the scripture also teaches us to confess it to one another. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So if you have something in your heart that you are harboring just for yourself, you got to tell that to someone else. You need to find a trusted confidant, either a pastor or a friend that you really trust or a counselor, someone, and confess that. Confess that. I, I remember before I became a Christian, or sort of when I was on the path to becoming a Christian, I sat down with a pastor, uh, and I said, look, I've got some stuff I need to get off my chest. I've got some confessions to make. And he says, okay. And I said, this is going to take a little while, okay? Uh, you know, because we all have stuff that we backed up over the years, and we just, we haven't let it out. We haven't confessed it. The scripture teaches us that this, one of the steps in healing is to confess. Confess the sin. The power of sin is in the secret. When you harbor it in, that's where the power is. That's where the power is. When you let it out, you discover, okay, you know what? It's not that big of a deal anyway. Because let me tell you something. Everything that you've ever done or said, every bad thing, every sinful thing that you've ever done, you're not the first. You won't be the last. And our congregation and the church body at large, we are a body of sinners who are saved by grace, not by our own works. We're all coming at this. There's no super righteous holy person here. We're all coming at this from a place of brokenness and weakness and pain and suffering and sin. All of us. All of us. Um, Step number two, forgive those who wounded you. Forgive those who hurt you. I spent a portion of my 20s being angry, and bitter and rebellious against people who I felt didn't treat me right or didn't say the right thing to me during a period of my life. And that kind of bitterness, that, that, that need for revenge, I mean, what I wanted to do is I wanted to prove everybody wrong. And that's what I was going to do. I wanted to be the one to put the exclamation point on the sentence. I'm going to tell the story. I'm going to show you that I was right and you were wrong. And you know what? That got me nowhere. That got me absolutely nowhere except in sort of a, a spiral of, of uh, unhappiness. You cannot hold on to the folks that hurt you and get healthy. You are either going to get even or you're going to get healthy. You're not going to get both. 
You're going to get one or the other. You're going to let go of the people that hurt you and forgive them and let them go. And you say, well, you know what? They don't deserve forgiveness. And that's right. They don't deserve forgiveness. And neither do you and neither do I. And forgiveness by in, in and of itself means that you don't deserve it. You're forgiving something for somebody that they did. They can't make it right. They may not want to make it right. They may not have apologized. Forgive them anyway. Because by forgiving them, you're liberating yourself. You're freeing yourself. The scripture even teaches us that when when we come to God for forgiveness, we've got to forgive others before we can actually get God's forgiveness. Because it's not going to be it's, he's not going to forgive us when we're harboring anger and and vengefulness for other people. There um, there have been sort sort of these social science studies about revenge, and what they have found is that. When someone contemplates revenge, when you think about revenge, it triggers these responses in your brain that are the same responses that are triggered by nicotine and cocaine, and, and it gives you a sort of a rush. And that's why we literary folks call, would call it sweet revenge or your just desserts, you know, just desserts. Because thinking about revenge sort of gives you this thrill of excitement. But executing revenge or trying to enact revenge, they have found keeps you in the, makes the initial pain that much worse. It keeps you in this cycle of pain. Revenge doesn't free you. It doesn't liberate you. It binds you and constricts you. So you have that option to either hold on and harbor the bitterness and angry, anger that you feel towards folks or to let them go and forgive them and be free. Romans uh, 12, 17 through 19 says, Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Do not take revenge for my dear friends, but leave room. Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't take it into your own hands. Don't harbor it in your heart. Let it go. God's got it covered. That's what the scripture is saying. I've got it. God's saying, I got it. Okay, I can handle it. I'll take care of it. Um, if you have been hurt, know that you are following a Savior who knows every imaginable pain that you have experienced. Abused, mocked, ridiculed, criticized, spit upon, beaten, uh, unwrongly accu- uh, wrongly accused. Everything that you're experiencing, he's experienced. You know, there, there's a great passage that we talked about in Mark where at one point he's in there teaching and he's trying to bring the gospel to people and he's teaching these, his disciples and his parents or his, his, his siblings come knocking on the door and say, We're try- we need our crazy brother. We need to get him out of here. He's embarrassing us, remember? And they try to get him out because they think he's crazy. And so here's Jesus who knows that he's the light of the world and he's preaching the gospel and his own brothers and sisters are saying, you're a lunatic, man. He knows, he knows what you've gone through. He was there He's there all the time. We talked about that last week. He's with you through your pain. Um, and yet, it says in, in 1 Peter, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Even Jesus himself didn't try to take revenge on those who hurt him. He did not try to avenge himself. If you remember, there was a moment in the Garden of Gethsemane when the soldiers came to get him, right at the end, right at the end of his life. And his trusty friend Peter pulls out the sword and says, let's take him on. And he go, and takes a whack at one of, the, uh, one of the soldiers. 
And Jesus says, hey, if I wanted to, I could call down 10,000 angels and wipe this whole thing out. That's not what we're doing. And in fact, a day later, when they hung him to the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. So his last words were to forgive. We're called to forgive, not to hold grudges. Hebrews twelve fifteen says, See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. If you harbor resentment, it hurts you and it hurts the people around you. It does not hurt the person against whom you are bitter. They may not even know, and they probably don't care. So it's only going to hurt you. If you've ever been around somebody who's bitter, I had a friend that, that was so angry about what he, f- he believed to be overly uh, judgmental people in the church that that would sort of obsess him. And he kind of fixated on that all the time. He would just talk about, well, those people and the way we grew up was they were so judgmental. And, da, da, da. and the, the, the truth was, you almost wanted to go, hey, man, you're not even around those people now. It's like they're haunting you here and they're not even here. There's other people around here now, but we're crowded out by all the folks that are haunting you from your past. And it wasn't fun or pleasant to be around this guy. You know, and the other thing I remember telling him one time, I said, listen, man. That judgmentalism that you're so angry about, that you're so bitter about, you're doing it. You're doing it right now. You've adopted it. You've focused on it so long that now you're doing it. You're holding everyone out. You're judging all of those people in the way that you didn't want to be judged when you were younger. So we tend to, we tend to focus on the things that we resent. We begin to resemble them. You know, you keep focused on it. Eventually, you're, it's going to take you over. Um, when, when you're a, if you have a, I used to have a motorcycle. And when one thing they would teach you on the motorcycle is, be careful where you put your eyes. Because where you put your eyes is where you're going to put the bike. And so, if you are going around a corner and you're nervous and you start looking out into the other lane, the oncoming lane, because you're afraid you're going to go over there, don't look over there because you will tend to move the bike in that direction. What we focus on, that's what we become. So if you're still saying, hey, I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be like my mom. I don't want to be like that you know, person in my past that hurt me. And if you're focusing on that, if you're really focusing on that, you've got to be careful because that's what you're going to be. You're going to become, it's just sort of the, the law of the universe is that you, whatever you, where, wherever your mind is, that's what you become. You follow that. Um, if you're listening to a song on the radio and you don't like the song, you don't sit there saying, man, I hate this song, right? I just really hate this song. Turn it up. Yeah, man, I really despise this part. The bridge, this is really terrible. You don't. You change the channel, right? You change the, sta- you change the station. So let's not focus on those things that bring us pain and bitterness, right? Forgive them, let them go. Amen? All right, number three, replace the lies with the truth. I love this guy. He looks like he's lying, right? I mean, he just looks like he's lying. Replace the lies with the truth. Have any of you ever believed a lie and then later discovered that it was a lie and then then you realized that it was a lie? Has that ever happened to you? The, The thing is, when it's happening, you don't know it's a lie. You think it's the truth, right? We had a guy, and I've told you about this before, but we had a guy 
at one point in, in, our, uh, in a church that we were in in Arizona, greatest guy you could ever meet, most trustworthy, awesome, nice guy, great father, great dad, great coach, you know, head of the um, part of the um, um, budgetary committee, awesome guy, taught the financial piece, the Dave Ramsey course, you know, awesome guy. Turns out he was running a Ponzi scheme for like the last 10 years and just ripping everybody off, robbing everyone blind. And we went, I took, we went to talk to the sheriff um, there in Maricopa County about it, and it was fascinating what he said. He said, the hardest part about this case is convincing the victims that they have been robbed because nobody believes me. They still believe him. They don't believe that he has robbed them blind. And this guy was a, was a hustler and had a Ponzi scheme going. And so he would tell you that, you know, you're investing in something and he would take the money and then he would just buy a house or buy a car or whatever. Um, but, you know, it, no one knew and no one believed. And so it took, it took like another year for people to go, yeah, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Where is that money that I gave you again? You know, he was a, he was a, he was a thief. Um, but we didn't know it at that time. We believed him. Some of us believe the thoughts in our mind just because they're there. Right? You don't believe everything anybody else, everybody else says. You don't believe everything you've seen on TV. You don't believe everything you read on the internet, hopefully. Um, but we tend to believe every thought that comes to our mind. Right? Because it's in our mind, we think it's true. And sometimes we act on that thought. In fact, if there's a thought, there's a thought, and then there's an emotional response to that thought, and then there's an action that results from the emotion and, and the thought. So if you have this thought in your mind and you're one of these persons that someone told you you weren't worth anything and you're sitting there and the, sort of the screensaver of your mind says to you, I'm not worth anything. I'm a loser. I'm no good. I'm of no value. I'm worthless, right? You have that thought. The emotion that you're going to have is you're going to be angry, frustrated, depressed, hurt, lonely, and sad, right? What's the action? You're probably going to do something that proves your initial thought you're going to go out and you're going to cause problems for yourself and engage in destructive behaviors that, in, in other words, sort of prove that your initial thought was true. Does that make sense? God wants you to change your mind. He wants you to change the thoughts in your mind about yourself if they're not true. Um, Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What does that mean? Change your mind. Change the thoughts in your mind. Believe not what someone else said about you or what you think about yourself. Believe what God says about you. Believe what God says about you in terms of your identity and who you are. Let me just give you a quick little bullet point list of what God says about you. The scriptures says that the scriptures say you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are chosen by God, royalty in his eyes. You are freed from bondage and slavery. You are formed by God to do good works which he prepared for you in advance. You are forgiven. You are alive in Christ. You are a friend of God. You are justified in God's eyes at peace with him through Christ. You are holy before God. Does this sound different than the screensaver you may have going in your mind at times? You're a member of God's household. You are a child of light. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You are the dwelling place of God. You're his temple. You're free in Christ. You're God's ambassador, his representative on earth. You're his beloved child. That's the truth about who you are. 
That's where God wants, that's what God wants you to believe. This is the truth about who you are. Not whatever loop that is that you have going, that self-fulfilling prophetic downward spiral loop that you may have going in your mind. Amen? Transform your mind. Um, The way you see yourself comes from the way you think that the most important person in your life perceives you. In other words, the way you see yourself, if if the most important person in your life is your father or your mother, a big part of the way you see yourself is the way you think they perceive you. You you tracking with me on that? That's why it's important to have God the most important person in your life. Because the way he thinks about you, the way he views you, is going to inform the way you see yourself. Okay? So let him be first and let everybody else be second. Second, third, fourth, and some folks can be down in the teens and the 20s. Number four, surround yourself with support. I kind of like this picture. Can somebody say jazz hands? This is Craig Wagner's leading us in a uh, -a Build-A-Bike, which was awesome. And uh, I don't think we've ever put that picture up, but I love that picture. Um, Surround yourself with support. One basic truth of healing is that you will not be healed by yourself. You cannot do this on your own. The way we are built, the way we are hardwired is that we are social creatures. We need each other. And God uses each other to strengthen and encourage and heal us. We cannot do it on our own. If you are struggling with something in your life, some sin, some hidden secret, you have got to get the support of others. Okay? You will not get healed without reaching out and getting help from other people. It won't happen. So if whatever it is, if it's lying, if it's stealing, if it's anger, if it's a sexual sin, if it's pornography, if it's greed, if it's anger, rage, whatever it is, whatever the issue is in your life that you're struggling with, you've got to get some support from other people. That's why I love our life groups. And I'm going <laughs> to, a little plug for life groups. But, 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 but seriously, that's what they're there for. They're there to, you know, build community where you can come and share your burdens with other people and unload and help and get help, get strength and get courage because every one of us are going through the same stuff. I'm going to give you an opportunity here just for some to do something fun that I think you'll like, right? There are, there are, there's God and then there's us, right? We're not God, right? Which means we are ungodly. We're Like God in some respects, but we're not like God in many other respects. So to that extent, the scripture says we're ungodly, right? So here's here's an opportunity for you to do something you may have wanted to do for a long time. Point to somebody else in the congregation and say, you're ungodly. (laughs) Only one person and only do it once. You know what? This is the most polite congregation because you're just like, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Oh, they they, they did it. Okay, they're good. Okay, the point is, your neighbor, your friends, your people that you look up to, we're all, we're all sinners saved by grace. We're all covered in mercy. We're all covered in the grace of God. Nobody's perfect. So don't feel like you're out there all alone with this hidden aspect of your life that you can't share. You can share it. This is a place where... I hope this church is a place where there's unconditional love, where people surround you in love and support, and when you stumble, you get picked up and set back on your way. You don't get thrown out and tossed to the wolves, 
Okay? That's what I hope this church is. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, uh, 9 through 12. Two are better than one, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. That's what the scripture teaches. And then it goes on to say that, you know, a three-chord, a three-strand cord is not easily broken. The, strong, the more we have together, the more community we build together, the stronger we're going to be. Thessalonians 5.11 says, encourage one another and build one another up. It's your duty as a Christian to build up other people, to encourage them and strengthen and build them up. That is your duty. That's your obligation as a Christian, to help other people. I'm going to go through here kind of quickly towards the end. 1 Peter 3, 8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. I mean, if that's what the church would be, it's a beautiful place. If that's what we can do, we will change the world. If we're not a place that's condemning and mean and throwing people out, and, you know, but if we're a place where, people, where there's real healing, we will radically transform the world. I, I, and I've said this before, I see people's lives coming in, and you know what, it's already happening. People's lives coming in here and people being totally changed. People being totally transformed by the gospel. I want us to be that. C.S. Lewis says, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. That's the, that's the experience we all have when we confess. So I'm gonna encourage you, get involved. Become a member, join a life group, get involved. Just get involved because you will heal through this process. You will heal by accountability and love and and support and encouragement from other people. And the last uh, point I want to make very quickly here at the end is pour yourself out to others. The best way ultimately for you to heal is to take that pain, that issue, that problem and and to redeem that by helping someone else. Because whatever that source of pain, anger, anxiety, whatever that is in your heart, that's a key to your mission. That's a key to what you're called to do. If you struggle with something and you have some hurt in your life and it causes you a great deal of emotional pain, that is a key to what you are called to do to help other people. I believe that with all of my heart. That tells us what we're called to do. I've got this great quote Uh, by Reverend uh, Martin Luther King. He says, As my sufferings mounted, I soon realized that there were two ways in which I could respond to my situation, either to react with bitterness or seek to transform the suffering into a creative force. I decided to follow the latter course. Take that pain, whatever it is. If you're you're hurt by, in in his case, he he was appalled by the, by the bias and the bigotry and the prejudice in his world. And he said, I I hate this. I'm going to take this pain and I'm not going to sit and be bitter about it. I'm going to do something about it. And he reached out and he did did what he was called to do. 2 Corinthians says, God comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, he (laughs) comforts... Did that cross your eyes? He says he comforts us so that we can comfort others with the same comfort that he used to comfort us. So we comfort others with the comfort that God provides us. How many times can you say comfort in one sentence? (laughs) Thank you, Paul, for making it very difficult. Uh, Galatians 6, 
Brothers, if anyone is caught up in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Fulfill the law of Christ by helping somebody else up when they stumble. Gently, those who are spiritual, not perfect, but those who are walking down the right path, take a minute, help somebody up, and help lead them down confidentially, kindly, humbly, meekly, because you're probably going to get, you're probably going to stumble too. So, you know, let's be gentle with one another, right? So that you may, he says, so that you may fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of Christ. Reach out. Last scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All things have become new, some of your passages might say. Let God come in, totally take over, totally transform your life so that you can be a force for good in the, in the world. Is that all right? I mean, that's what he's called us to do. That is what he has called us to do and called us to be. And I think that as a church, that should be our focus and our, and our mission. I want to encourage every single one of you today, let God heal those wounds inside of you. Let him heal. There's a song that I love by Chris Christopherson. He says, it's called, uh, Why Me, Lord? And it says, Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve even one of the blessings I've known? Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving you? Have you heard this? For the kindness you've shown. Lord, help me, Jesus. I've wasted it, so help me, Jesus. I know what I am. Now that I know that I needed you, so help me, Jesus. My soul's in your hands. Fame, you want to sing that song, don't you? (laughs) The verse says, try me, Lord. If you think there's a way, I can try to repay all I've taken from you. Maybe, Lord, I can show someone else what I've been through myself on my way back to you. How many wants to get healed today? Who many wants to be totally free, totally free in Christ? Who wants to let God come and bring them the joy, the comfort, the peace, the courage that God has for you? I do. I want to be a man of courage. I want to be a man of strength. I want to be free. I want to be free. Amen? More importantly, God wants me to be free and wants you to be free too. Amen? Let's be totally free. Let's um, just take a moment. Let's bow our heads uh, and just thank God for what he's doing in our lives. Father, we 